Good morning. I'm Andy. I'm one of the pastors here at City on a Hill. Uh, if this is your first time with us, uh, if I haven't met you before, uh, welcome. Can I extend my welcome to you? And I would love to see you at Newish Lunch. Um, yeah, no need to RSVP. We'd love to see you there if you can make it. Um, now, our normal practice would be to um, unpack the Bible passage that we've just heard. Um, we usually work our way through different books of the Bible. But as Paul mentioned earlier, uh, we're doing our wholehearted series at the moment and looking at what it means to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. Uh, so how about I pray and then we'll think about the next area of our lives that um, should be shaped by Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we ask for your help now to hear what it is that you have to say to us this morning. We pray your spirit would be at work in each of us, for your spirit dwells in us. If we've received Christ, we've been united with him by your spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, please work this morning. Give me the words to say and give us hearts ready to hear and be changed by your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we think about this question, what does it mean to live wholeheartedly for Jesus? What, it, what does it look like? Um, you can't really go past this one verse in Mark. It's a, it's a little verse, but it's a massive verse. Um, two verses, actually. Mark 12, verse 30 to 31. Someone comes to Jesus and asks, what is the greatest commandment? That's a great question to ask the Lord of the universe. And this is his answer. This is Jesus' answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. What does it look like to live wholeheartedly for Jesus? Well, that's it. There's your answer. We don't really need to go beyond that. Um, but it is helpful to unpack what this means. What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love our neighbor? And that's what we, we do here as a church. That, that's what drives everything we do. Uh, for the last few years, we've thought about how we can love God and love our neighbor as a church. And we've um, come across these five purposes which come out of Scripture of helping us to love God and love our neighbor. And they all start with the letter M. If you've been around for a while, you'll be very familiar with them. Um, but we've seen two already, haven't we? So two weeks ago, we looked at magnification. Uh, now, this is probably the hardest one to understand, and it, it, um, it's kind of twisting it into fit with the letter M. Uh, but it does say in, this, in the Psalms to magnify the Lord, not because he's small, but because we want to make him as glorious as he really is in our lives. And so we were looking at uh, this love of God should be something that we grow in. We should be growing in our love and awe of God. And we particularly do that as we gather on Sundays and sing songs to God and to each other to lift our hearts and our lives to magnify God. And then last week, we looked at another great purpose for our lives, which is the next M word, mission. We saw that loving God and loving our neighbor must drive us 
to take the good news of the love of God for us to our neighbors, to those who don't know him on mission, on Jesus' mission. Now, this week, we're looking at a third M word, and it's membership. Uh, So where mission was loving those on the outside, membership is all about loving those on the inside, loving God's church, Christ's body, this family of believers that God has given us to be our family, our church community. Now, like I said, these five purposes, these five M's shape everything we do here at City on a Hill, and uh, including how we split up our staff team. And so uh, one of my privileges is that I'm the membership pastor at City on a Hill. Um, And so I spend a lot of my time in this space thinking about how we as a community can love each other and how we can be a loving community that welcomes others into our our family. Uh, And so my hope this morning... And, and I'm really excited to have this opportunity. Uh, whether this is your first time with us or whether you've been with us uh, since the early days of the Southerton's Lounge Room, my hope is that God will expand and deepen and broaden our picture of just what it means to live as a wholehearted member of Christ's body, of what it means to belong to a church community, of a church family like this one at City on a Hill. Because we all want a place to belong, don't we? A community to belong to. It's hard to think of something much worse than having nowhere to belong. My last year of primary school ended pretty badly. I was bullied. And it reached a point where even my closest friends started bullying me. I was completely alone. It was horrible to not belong, to be surrounded by people and not belong. And the reverse is true as well, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to think of anything that would make us more happy than having a place to belong, a place to call home. I caught up with an old friend a few weeks back at a late night karaoke night in a bar. I love karaoke. So if you ever want to do karaoke, um, yeah, I love it. Um, But there were some people there. I haven't done karaoke for years, but there were some people there that this bar and even this karaoke night, this was their place. This is where they belonged. This was the one place that they felt like they could belong. That was really sad, actually. But belonging is part of our humanity, isn't it? Because humans are social creatures, aren't we? We hunger for a group to belong to, a group where we can feel loved and included and cared for as we share life together. And the thing is, as our world gets smaller with technology and the pace of life, and we're so connected and we're in so many different communities, it can actually feel hard to actually belong. They don't feel like deep communities that we're really invested in. I I recently joined the the Pack and Chat community. I don't know if there are any other Pack and Chat communities uh, members out there. Uh, This is a feedback thing for Pack and Save online. Um, Now, I got an email from them welcoming me to the Pack and Chat community. And 
I, I'm sorry, but I just don't think that this is going to fulfill my desires for community, right? A place to belong. They just want some feedback. And I appreciate that, but it's not a community, right? But this is what church ought to be, right? A place where people can feel like we belong. A community to belong to. Now, before we go any further to look at what that might look like, I wonder if maybe that's not actually how you see church. Maybe you're here and you've already got communities that you belong to. And this is not one of them that you're really interested in belonging to. Maybe for you, church is just another event that you put into your calendar unless something else more pressing comes up. But can I tell you, church is not just an event. We, we still call it church, the event, right? I'll see you at church. But it's so much more than what we're doing here today. I mean, for one thing, our church gathers throughout the week, throughout the city, in various things, in Bible studies, in life explored courses, in whatever they're called these days, um, in social events, in, in bushwalks, in just meals out together. Like our church gathers more than just on Sunday. But the other thing is we're connected. We're a community. We don't just come here to absorb an event. We belong to each other. Because that's what makes a community, right? A group of people who are brought together by something they share in common. A common unity, community. Whether it's common geography or a, a common workplace or a common goal, that's what makes community a community. And, and now this is where people might uh, go on to talk about how Christian community it's so glorious because we have this glorious unity of purpose. We have this shared vision to multiply and mature disciples for Jesus, to be salt and light in the world, to be a city on the hill that can't be hidden. And it puts fire in our bellies and it inspires us to get up at seven on a Sunday and help set up sound gear and, and give our hard-earned cash to church. And, and it's great and it's true and I hope it does inspire you that we have this common purpose. But there's so much more to our community than common purpose. See, if the only thing that unites us is a common purpose, then really we're just like any other movement, right? There's the Jesus movement. But then there's also the Greens movement or the civil rights movement or the queer rights movement or the make poverty history movement or the save the little blue penguin movement. Are we really any different? We just have a different vision for our organization. Is there more to Christian community than shared purpose? There's so much more. In fact, I want to put it to you that a church is the only place, the only place on the planet where true community can happen. Which brings us to the passage that was read earlier. It might be helpful to have it in front of you. 1 Corinthians 12. Have a look with me from verse 12. We'll see that Paul describes our unity. It's so profound. It's like we're the same person. 
Have a look with me from verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Do you see how united we are? If we're members with Christ, it's like we're a single body. We share the same DNA. We came from the same origin. We are truly one. It's a beautiful and powerful image, isn't it? This image of the body. And it's not just unity. It's unity in diversity. Did you see that? We're so united. It's like we're one person. But at the same time, we're so diverse that it's like we're different body parts. Think of the difference between an ear and a leg or a hand and an eye. They're so different. And we can be so different, and yet we're one. And see, our unity is not just aspirational. It's not just something to strive for. It's a reality that exists. Did you see that? It's inherent in our identity. Because do you see what unites us? It's this new identity we have in the Spirit. Have a look with me from verse 13. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. See, there is something unique about a Christian, something that sets us apart from the rest of humanity. And it's something that's so deep and so profound and affects us so deeply that it unites us. Like John was mentioning, we have more connection with a brother or sister who lives on the other side of the world than with our own biological families if they're outside of Christ. Because this profound change happens when someone becomes a Christian. We are born again, not of flesh and blood, but of the Spirit. We are a new creation, a new humanity. And so we have this unity in the Spirit. And it's so profound that we're more connected with someone on the other side of the world than with someone in our own family. And what it means is that each part of our body, each part of our church community, is indispensable. No one should feel like they don't belong. Everyone has an essential function to help this body. And the parts that are least impressive, if you read on in the passage, they're the parts that we give special honor to because each part is a treasured part of God's body. But you know what? There's something even more profound that sits behind what Paul's saying here about all having the same spirit. And, and this is where we need to go right back to the beginning of history and the beginning of the Bible. Because the problem with community is that it's broken. It was broken at the fall. When Adam and Eve took the fruit, they rejected perfect community with God and with each other. And instead, they chose a life 
of selfishness. See, as much as we long for community, whether it be at church or out there in the world and whatever community we might feel like we belong to, as much as we love this idea of common unity, our sin, our selfishness, it keeps getting in the way. And so this thing that we long for, this sense of belonging, it so often just slips through our grasp, doesn't it? See, what do sinful people do when we come to a community? Well, we see others either as a threat or someone I can use to get what I want. In other words, I come to community for what I can get out of it. And so if you're going to stand in my way of getting what I want, then you're a threat. And if you're going to help me get what I want, well, you're an asset. You're someone I can take advantage of to get what I want. Now, this might not be obvious in the communities you're part of. People might be generally pretty nice to each other most of the time. You might not realize that people are treating you as a threat or a means to an end. And you might not feel like you're doing that to others. But the closer a community gets, the more invested people are in that community, the more cracks will start to appear. I'm sure you've seen it. The gatekeepers step in. When something or someone threatens this firmly held conviction, This is how community works in the natural world. Um, Groups of animals are actually really good at cooperating across all different walks of life. And they appear to be incredibly unified, don't they? Think of an ant colony. Think of how little each part of that colony can contribute and yet what they can achieve in their unity when they all contribute to the whole. But actually... They're just acting in selfishness. They're just acting on instinct to try and preserve their genetic material to the next generation. And so working together, well, safety in numbers, right? But wait till someone rebels. Or someone new arrives. An outsider. Someone different. See, part of our humanity is this capacity to love. It sets us apart from the natural world, to think beyond ourselves, to consider how my actions and my attitudes might have a negative impact on someone else, even someone who doesn't have the potential to pass on my genetic material to the next generation. We can rise above our animal instincts, and yet so often... This self-serving sin in our hearts drags us back down into the mud. And we can be like animals. We know the good we ought to do, and yet so often we fall short. And this is the case even in churches, isn't it? These places that are meant to be communities of unity and love, We can treat each other horribly, can't we? 
infighting and quarreling and grumbling and power struggles and schisms. In fact, this is why Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians. There's this incredible disunity within the church. There's all these factions that have cropped up. And so what's the solution to this cycle of selfishness that's broken communities all throughout humanity? What's the solution to our selfishness? Well, throughout this letter, Paul reminds the Corinthians that Christians are bound together by something no other community on earth has. See, Christians are united in the gospel of Jesus. And it's when the gospel of Jesus is what shapes a church, it's when the gospel is what's shaping the church, that's when they become true communities. Because the gospel is where God says, you know your selfishness and your sin? Justice says it should be destroyed, that you should be destroyed. But instead, because of my love for you, I'm going to send you my perfect son, the perfect man who always loved God and loved his neighbor, who never took advantage of anyone. And he's going to do the ultimate act of selflessness for you. He's going to take this mess you've made of your life, the selfishness, the rejection of me, the wrath that you rightly deserve, and he's going to take that on himself. He's going to pay the ultimate price for the ultimate sinner. So I can declare you forgiven. So I can restore you to right relationship with me, your maker. So you can stop living for yourself and live for him who died for you. So you can live rightly as my image bearer, as I created you to be. See, the gospel of Jesus is the heart of Christian community. And it's only when a community is grounded in the gospel and shaped by the gospel and united around the gospel of Jesus that it can be true community, truly restored humanity together as the body of Christ. There's nowhere else on the planet where you can find that except for Jesus. I heard something this week that made me stop and think. It was this. Christian community is not the solution to loneliness. Now, I know there are lonely people right here in this room today, listening on the live stream perhaps. In fact, I reckon there's a loneliness pandemic that is particularly affecting the Western world. It's ironic. We're so connected. We've never been more connected. Instantaneous technology. And yet for many of us, it's just so superficial. So many people have this profound relational poverty. 
But Christian community is not the solution to loneliness. When I realized this week, what I realized this week is that if you come to a church in order to try and find a solution to loneliness, then you're actually undermining the very thing you're searching for. Because this community is not about you finding a place to belong, finding a spouse, finding a friend. And it's not about me achieving my goals. It's not even about us coming together and having this great thriving community. No, it's about Jesus. And it's only when we realize that it's all about Jesus. That's when we can find the real solution to loneliness. And not just loneliness. Whatever problems this messed up world is throwing at you at the moment, whatever you think is wrong with your life, I don't have enough money or enough time or good health or enough energy or the job I was hoping for or the family I was hoping for. See, what I need to know in all my mess and all my problems is that I can come to God as I am. Alone and exposed in all my brokenness, in all my weakness, in all my sin, in all my pain and my struggles, and find that he loves me. That I'm his precious child, and I'm forgiven. And if you've come to Jesus as well, and you've received that same forgiveness, well, then you're his precious child too. You're not someone here to take advantage of me. You're not a threat or someone for me to use to my advantage. No, you're another sinner like me, saved by Jesus. And together we have his Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And so we're united with Christ, our Savior, and we're united with each other. And we've been saved in love in order to love. Not to seek our selfish desires, but to love the God who first loved us and to love our neighbor as ourself. And that's what Paul goes on to talk about, isn't it? In 1 Corinthians 13, that famous passage about love. It's about Christian community. It's not about marriage or a school motto. It's about Christian community. Do you see how Jesus is the only way to true community? He's the solution to the thing that broke community, our selfishness. He's the only way we can find restored and secure relationship with our maker that then overflows into deep and real relationships with each other, where we don't have to hide who we really are. Where I don't have to see you as a threat or a means to get what I want. And you know what the beautiful irony is? The more we surrender ourselves to Jesus, the more we can be liberated from that loneliness, the things that we really desire.
See, if we pursue community for community's sake, it'll only be ever as good as the best communities the world has to offer, this common unity. But if we love God and love others for Jesus' sake, we'll gain the truest and most rich and beautiful expression of community that exists in the universe. This is what church is in its best moments. And I know we have a long way to go. We're all works in pro- progress. This side of heaven will have our issues. But the more we grow to know and to love Jesus and draw near to him and not focus on ourselves, the closer we'll get to experiencing this taste of heaven on earth. So can I close with four practical steps to express what it means to be members of Christ's body, this glorious community? Firstly, get to know Jesus. If you don't yet know Jesus as your personal saviour, or you want to reaffirm your faith in him, or you want to explore what that actually looks like to follow Jesus, please don't sit on that alone. We would love to talk to you about it. Come and chat to me or chat to someone who you know loves Jesus. That's the first thing you've got to get to know Jesus. He's the only solution. And secondly, join a church that puts Jesus first. I'd love it to be this church, but at least find a church that loves Jesus and join Don't just come along. Commit to the community. It's impossible to invest a community unless you've actually joined it. And that's that's true of community groups here at church as well. If you if you're part of City on a Hill, think about your community groups not as an event. I say this every year to my community groups. This is not an event. This is a group of people to belong to, to love, to commit to. So get to know Jesus. Join a church that loves Jesus. Thirdly, come to church to serve Jesus and not for what you can get out of it. Even godly things like wanting to grow spiritually. Start by serving Jesus, coming to serve. Think about and pray about who you might be able to encourage this week at church. The new person, the struggling person, the the person who hasn't really connected in, the person who's a bit on the outer or a bit harder to talk to, the person who is most unlike you if it weren't for Christ. Or perhaps the person who didn't make it this week, who you could touch base with during the week and say, just check on how they're doing. Think about how you can be the part of the body that God wants you to be and serve Jesus. And fourthly, let people into your life. 
Let people into your life. There's, there's two tips I have for this point. Um, share food and share yourself. More and more, as I've done this role as membership pastor, I believe in food. <laughs> I believe in Jesus first, but food brings people together. It doesn't matter what culture you're from. Share food. If you don't know how to cook, go out for a meal together. There's so many great places to eat. Maybe get a bunch of people together and go out for lunch after church once a month, every week if you want. Have people around. It's so good. And share some of yourself. Perhaps about your own struggles with life or with faith. And as you share yourself, people can open up and start to share themselves with you. Because that's what gospel communities are like, right? Where we can be real with each other. We don't have to hide who we really are because we are forgiven. But whatever you do, the best thing you can do for our community as a member of Christ's body Keep growing in your love of Jesus. Why don't we pray and ask for his help to do that? Lord God, we thank you that we are not animals. That while we have turned from you and walked off on our own direction, and sought to seek after ourselves. You didn't leave us in our sin, but you came and you died for us so that we might have true life in his name and so that we might find true community, people redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, where we can be real with you and real with each other. We pray for that for our church and for churches around the world, that they would be places of love and compassion and care centered on the gospel of Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would keep helping us grow in our love and our knowledge of him until we see him face to face in that glorious day. And we long for that day, Lord. And until that day, please be with us. Be the center of our lives and the center of our church for his sake. Amen.